0: Hi everyone, I'm Martin Tyler. You are listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast.
1: Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time Podcast. And it's fair to say it is a busy and pat one this week, so we're going to crack on. I'm Luke Edwards. Thank you very much for listening. Joining me as always... Uh, he, has got, he got some spam through the letterbox yesterday, and he's wearing his T-shirt with it on. It's Dickie Wharton. Hiya, Dickie.
2: Good morning, Luke. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> suffering for the um, <clears throat> the loss of the air in bed, but I'm here.
3: Yeah,
1: excellent. And uh, joining us also, um, he had his job this week, so he felt a bit of a prick for a while. It's Rob Worrell. Hi, Rob.
3: Uh, I knew you were, you asked that question for a reason. <laughs> yeah, it's been a strange week one way or another, but uh, yeah, in fine fettle otherwise.
1: Well, without further ado, we'd, uh, we'd best get on with it because it's fair to say it's been... We normally say it's a mad week in the National League. I think this is probably the most hectic and busiest week for news I've ever known it since we started a pod, I think. Um, we've had managerial sackings, we've had team's results potentially being expunged, we've had chairmen speaking out, we've had upsets in a trophy, we've had massive results. Um, well, where to start? I mean... The news at the start of the week two managerial sackings, Notts County, Neil Hardley left the club by mutual consent. And um, interestingly enough, applications weren't asked for by the football club and they made an appointment next day, which we'll get onto shortly. But Neil Hardley, I mean, <sighs> We could use a pun, hardly surprised, because that's how my accent says it anyway, for hardly surprised. But um, the fans weren't too happy regardless, even though they were in, I think it was seventh place, when he, sixth place when he was dismissed. The fans still weren't quite happy over the performances, were they? And, and you know, it wasn't a massive surprise when he went, so not to me anyway.
3: It wasn't as big a surprise, Luke, as the other one. Uh That's evident. Um, both from our own reactions and the reactions across social media uh, to both. I think that largely what was coming out with Ardley, I think he's generally thought of that. He's really taken some care and responsibility for Notts County through, through, let's face it, the most difficult period for just about every football club. And that he's a hell of a nice guy. But I don't think that the majority of Notts County fans believes he was getting as good of results consistently as he might have done. Um, Obviously, it's big club, big expectations, and they're pretty much all in that pack together, really, aren't they? A few points separating them. But um, I think from the Notts County's board point of view, um, they would have looked across last season, across this season. Is that up to the very, very high level of expectations at Notts County? And I think that's probably where where ardley suffered and it's a difficult job, isn't it, for any manager managing a team which is pretty much expected to win every week at this level.
1: they brought in Ian Birchnell, who's well known more for his time in Scandinavian football and to find out a bit more about him, I uh, enlisted the help of the Nordic Football Podcast co-host, Steve Wiss. So, Steve, thanks for joining us. You're, you're, the, you're the guy I think we need to come to to talk about, Ian Birchnell, because not a lot of people will know about him. Uh, Notts County owners are Danish, of course. They knew exactly who they wanted. So, tell us about Ian Birchnell, the coach.
0: Yeah, I mean, Ian Birchnell obviously has had uh, two coaching stints out there in, in Scandinavia. First of all, the Viking In Norway, which unfortunately led to him being sacked and the club relegated, that was under very difficult circumstances. And then uh, a pretty, I would say, accomplished time in in Ustersons, which was I think he was in charge for sixty matches in total, so effectively two seasons worth of games up there. And um, you know, I think on both both times, both at Viking and Usterson, then he 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 left the job with with uh, his reputation in, in good good stead. Really, I think if you I have to ask him what type of coach and manager Ian is. I would say technical is the first thing that really comes to mind. He's very good in that department. But yeah, he um, it's an interesting way. You don't often see coaches, sort of English coaches anyway, build up their experience abroad. But in, in the case of, of Ian, then it obviously has happened in Scandinavia there. He, he regularly said that you've got to treat every player differently. You know, In this day and age, it's not what it was 20 years ago. Um, you know, there's a lot of really... Sometimes you've got to cuddle up to a player. Sometimes you've got to um give them the whip, haven't you? And I think Ian's man management has always been good. He's had some great relationships with players. I think part of his philosophy is to have a harmonious dressing room, build up, you know, team bonding, things like that. The Austin tradition was to do these win, um, winter plays and everything and, and whatnot. I don't... I can't see that being... Um, something at uh, Knotts County, but I do believe they'll try and get a feel-good factor in terms of, you know, off the field there for sure.
1: Yeah, of course, the Knotts County owners are Danish, so they'll have known all about his work in Scandinavia. Um, Just how how has it been seen in Norway and Sweden, this appointment then, of him going to Knotts County? Is it kind of like, oh, that's a bit of a surprise, or is it going, no, he deserves it? I
0: I think it would be seen as a a surprise, because this is an non-league football club, effectively, isn't it? uh, and that's, that was initially my reaction as well. Um, you know, Obviously, it's a different sort of project there. They are one of the bigger teams in the panorama National League and, and they've got probably good resources. So that's one of the probably reasons that attracted him there. I mean, this is certainly the way I see it as well. Quite a coup for Notts County to, to pick up someone of his technical class. However... Um, I, I suppose you could also say there's maybe some question marks.
1: Yeah. So, what what do you think he'll bring to Knox County? What can uh, the Knox County fans expect in terms of style of playing, management style, things like that?
0: I say a very very technical sort of style. Ian's an incredibly adaptable coach. He can. I mean, he's he's had many different systems over the years: flat back four, back five, back three, whatever you want to call it. He he will mix and match it up compared to the opponent. He he. Um, it's not like one system and that's it. They have he has many different strings to his bow. So I think you'll see generally looking at a quite a pass hungry approach. Not immense possession, but they'll want to put the ball on the deck and play it. Um, but and, and probably a, a decent pace as well. He's not the sort of side that you ever see, you know, slowing the game down and things like that. He, he generally likes to play on the front foot. He doesn't like time wasting and stuff like that. He likes to play the game in quite a
1: that's interesting. Um, so if the 1-0 up, you won't see them kind of throwing the ball away and stuff. He'll, it'll be a case of, well, 1-0 up, let's go and get a second, rather than let's just see the game out.
0: I think so, until really late on. He will definitely have more of a sort of Marcelo Bielsa approach, where it's like, let's try and get the second goal and finish the game off until until you know really late on. However, he does have a good record when he's in control of matches, I think. Um you often see him when they do get the lead, get a foothold in the game. He has control of the game because he can keep, keeps the ball so well. He has good strategies. I think one of the weaknesses perhaps he sometimes has had is if they are, if they fall behind, doesn't have such a good record getting back into games, weirdly. And I, I've never really got my head around that. But you've got to remember the two clubs he's managed have been not the greatest of sides. So it, this, this appointment at Notts County, I'm guessing they'll have one of the best squads in the league. I'm guessing you know, they are one of the big bigger clubs in the league. This is, he's, for the first time in his coaching career, he's going to be managing one of the really big favourites, if you know what I mean. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see how he adapts there. Um, and also, you know, it's, it's, some of the pitches I guess, in the Van National National are not the greatest either. But a lot of artificial surfaces in Norway and Sweden that he's used to. So he's going to have to adapt that way. I don't know what the Notts County... Maybe Notts County are loaded offensively and it's different there. But he has got frustrated sometimes with teams sort of parking the bus um, and just time wasting and stuff like that when you know w- when he's behind in the game and I guess he's gonna have to encounter that again at national league level but this is a coach that's evolved you know he's still very young and um, as I say, I think he, he will definitely have plans in place for, for this sort of thing going, going forward. He's almost perhaps too good for national league level is in you know I think if you put in Birchland in charge of, say a championship club, this, this might sound be a bit of a left-field opinion, but I think he'd do really good. He just feels, you know, National League level, it's it's different. I, I get certainly where Knox County, of, of wanting a high-class coach, they're getting that with him. They're very good and they want, you know, it's a direction I, I get why they're going in.
1: Just tell us a bit about the owners, obviously, the well-known in, in Scandinavia, uh, what they're like. Obviously, they're ambitious owners, hence, but also, they, they know the Scandinavian football, hence, as we mentioned earlier, Ian Birchner was appointed.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, uh, this is... Um, A couple of owners who obviously follow Scandinavian football in detail. They know what's going on up there. They would have followed Ian's progress. Probably would have been recommended to them by certain other quarters as well, no doubt. At the end of the day, this is a club that's probably statistically led, driven by a lot of things in terms of of the money ball
1: approach, then. A bit like Brentford, maybe.
0: Yeah, you know, you got they're gonna make sure they get the right players in in terms of recruitment. I'd imagine Ian will not have too much of a say in terms of recruitment, he'll, he'll probably say, oh, I want this type of player, you find me it. You know I mean? That's the sort of um, approach I think not can have, isn't it? But, but you know, they they would look into a lot of statistics, models, things like that, about um, in terms of the, the players that they brought in. But it's not, football's not one on paper, it's not one on computers, is it? This is why I think they've gone for him because they, they need a coach who can actually get the players on the field, you know, day-to-day training, things like that, and move them up to the next level in that department, I'm sure behind the scenes, they're very happy with how things are going in terms of, you know, the statistical side of things and, and everything and probably the financial aspects as well. I wouldn't know in detail, but they needed someone on the same wavelengths as them, um, perhaps scientific approach as well. Ian um, is good with that sort of thing. i say quite a coup, I would say, for, for a club like Knox County, if it works out in the right sort of way. But um, they're a club, I think they're, they're certainly desperate to get back to league football and they're willing to put a lot of eggs into that basket.
1: And that was Steve List, and that was an edited version of the interview. It was quite a long interview. We'll put out the separate interview for anyone who wants to listen to it. I think Knotts fan- County fans will find it very intriguing if they are listening. It's, it's about his time in Sweden and Norway, working under Graham Potter, and more about what they can expect from the new man. I mean, it was the, the appointment was quite a surprise in itself, wasn't it? It
2: was. Um, I mean, the, the, I think the very fact that Knotts County said they weren't inviting applications um, says that they already had their man lined up and it was just a, a matter of the timing. Um that's always unfortunate because, you know, in in, in Neil Lardley's case, you know, he took charge of the, the two all drawer at Yeovil on Tuesday night. And, you know, that that feeling that there are people watching already knowing that, you know, he he's on his way out is, is never a comfortable thing. Um, you know, but but they've made their decision, they've they've gone for what? You know, every manager brings a different approach. You know, if it wasn't going to be a different approach, you'd ask, you know, why on earth did you change manager? Um, but clearly, they see something in in Ian Birchnell. As you say, he, he's trodden a, a familiar path. He took over at Ostersunds after Graham Potter, and 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 Graham Potter had done a, a tremendous job there. I think took them into the from something like the fourth division of Swedish football to the first, um, at, at, and he managed to sort of like maintain that. So. You know whether whether that was just the case of he was just maintaining something that had already been built. We'll have to wait and see. But it, you know it, it is very easy to um, come in and 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 make a mess of somebody else's work, as we know. So um, yeah, we'll just have to see. And just touching back on that on what Rob said about uh, about Neil Ardley as well. I think what's really clear to me is that there seems to be a very clear separation. I think there's huge respect for what he did at Notts County and the point at which he came in and the the dignity that he's shown as manager and the way he's been a a leader for them. Um, But I think it's that separation between being a nice man and getting results. And and the two don't necessarily, they're not necessarily the easiest of bedfellows. Uh, And, you know, Notts County are in the business of of winning football games, want to get back into the Football League, and it must have been a tough decision. But, yeah, that's, that's that's the one they've made.
1: It was interesting last week, actually, and quite ironic now, um, after they beat Yeovil, Neil Hardley said, oh, there always seems to be a crisis at the club and then we get a result and avert it. (laughs) It was gone by Wednesday after the 2-2 draw with Yeovil, in which they they were 2-0 down and managed to fight back in that game and get a draw. Uh, But then on Thursday came the even bigger news that um, Bromley had part of company with manager Neil Smith, which was a massive shock. I mean, we had him on the podcast about three or four weeks ago. No inkling of it. Apparently there was from what I'm hearing, there was no inkling that he knew what was going to happen either. And uh, this one has sent shot waves through the whole of social media. I've not seen one person who agrees with the decision. Um, I think the, the chairman said that he, he wanted the club to go in a different direction and, and having looked at first team affairs, he felt the best decision was to part with, uh, with Neil Smith, which seems an absolutely bonkers, it seems a bonkers decision, doesn't it, from the outside?
3: It certainly does, Luke. And I think, you know, you just build it as an even bigger. Well, it's what it was. It wasn't even bigger news because Notts County were a bigger club, but it was a bigger shock, I think, to all of us, and certainly to the fans of the club themselves. Um, I've been in brief contact with uh, Neil Smith or Smudger, um, and he's going to have a little chat with us for the podcast in time for next week. So we'll get that uh, fixed up and out to you guys. But initially, the way he's responded. I think he's obviously just focused on, on on the positive things that he can say at this stage. And uh, he said, it's been a great and unforgettable 10 years at the club for me, initially coming in with Mark Goldberg as his assistant and fighting relegation in the Conference South to then turning things around, reaching the playoffs, followed by winning the title the following year. I'm also proud that since I became manager in 2016, we've established ourselves in the National League, competing with some big clubs and often getting the better of them. Um, One thing he left out of that, of course, is he led Bromley to Wembley as well, where unfortunately for them, they lost to Brackley in the FA Trophy final. But uh, a really, really popular guy with his fans absolutely was Mr. Bromley. Um, But I tell you what, at some point, whether it happens sooner or later, Bromley's loss will be another club's gain. Mm. And, um, you know, we'll talk more to to Neil Smith next week, but... uh, hugely shocked by that one. Look at their finishes in the last few seasons. So in, not necessarily in this order, but like 9th, 10th, 11th, 13th. Only once just below uh, you know, mid-table uh, in the National League. Sitting 7th when they sacked him. It just doesn't add up.
1: I think you said, Rob, this is the highest position you've been in at this stage of the season, which makes it even more baffling.
3: Yeah, it does. Of course, they had a flying start last year and they just couldn't maintain it, could they? They did have a few points... Uh, There were a few points clear at the top. But, uh, um, you know, Neil would have taken the lessons from that last season and he was having a much, you know, (laughs) where at a horse, he was sitting nicely in the pack, you know, with with a couple of of good laps to go. And he's been robbed now of the chance to uh, see them across the line. And uh, I think it's really sad. Of course, we're not in the insides and inner workings of these clubs. We don't know what else it is. Um, I think Neil mentioned you know, then wanted to have a new DNA, time for a change. But surely, surely, surely that would have been at the end of this season if Bromley hadn't made what was their objective to the playoffs.
2: The timing does seem like an issue, doesn't it? I I mean, I think we had a discussion earlier in the week where I I, touched on it being not dissimilar to Stockport um, dispensing and the services of Jim Gannon in that, you know, you're removing someone who is legitimately a club legend. You, you, You call him Mr Bromley, you know, Gannon has a similar status to Stockport County but they, they, they made that decision um, you know Stockport made their decision a couple of months ago when we, we still had more than 50% of the season still to play I think for Bromley to do this now um, it, it is the, the puzzling thing um, and you know we have to be careful because you know we, we've had Neil on, on the podcast and, uh, and clearly he is someone who, um, whose company we enjoyed so you know we, we may have our own sort of like Feelings about that, you know, doing that to someone who comes across as such a nice guy, but you know, that's football, unfortunately, isn't it? You know, sometimes these decisions get made. Um, But yeah, uh, just to
3: add to that point that you're making there, the one thing, as I say, we don't know the working, you know, what what the logic is of of the Bromley chairman. But if he had decided that Smith was going, whether it be now or at the end of the season, and he decided that. And and I say he, it's not a dictatorship, is it? It's a board. But um if they decided that they wanted somebody new, then did they accept that they might um they might miss out on a on on, on, a, on a shot at the playoffs this season for, for getting their approach right for next season and whoever is gonna come in, giving them uh whatever's left, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen games to uh you know have a look at what's there to decide who's staying, who's going. And because it, if you look at it purely from the start of next season, somebody new coming in at Bromley's gonna have more of a chance if they get in there now than if they just come in at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, be case of watch his space with Bromley and other news that broke this week was that Dover's results results um are expunged, although we're waiting for official confirmation on that, of course. They were also given a 12-point deduction for next season and a £40,000 fine. And There was an interesting interview with Chairman Jim Parmenter on BBC Radio Kent, which I, I do strongly recommend that you listen to and you can make your own minds up on it. He was quite strong, called the league, um, said the league had no integrity. Um, he used the word uh, hypocritical a lot as well. Um, and he said he would appeal it, but it will be interesting because obviously the appeals process is is still open. Um and we have had a, a quick word with the National League for comment, haven't we, Dickie?
2: Yeah, we have obviously. I mean this this news broke on Friday that, that it well, it wasn't just Dover. I think there was I think in total something like eighteen clubs were facing um uh, charges around rule breaches to do with not fulfilling fixtures. Obviously, when we were in that period when um, uh, the resolutions had been put to them, some clubs took the option, or well, it wasn't an option, they took the decision not to fulfil fixtures because they didn't, well, they had their own reasons for it. We we, we shouldn't surmise what those were. Um, but yeah, that, that's all, all come to a head now with the, the results of the independent panel that the National League commissioned um, giving their views. And obviously, Dover are the... Are the the, the big losers in that, as as we imagined they might be, um, I was keen to find out. I mean, we we read the statement from the National League that was that came out on Friday, and that's out again. That's out there for people to find. But I was keen to just get. Um, just a little bit under the skin of it, I guess. So I got in contact with um, with Ollie Osborne from the National League um, and um, unfortunately, well, we haven't got any audio for broadcast for two reasons. A, because we we agreed that we wouldn't do that, but also because the, the, the quality of, of the conversation we had on the phone didn't come through very well. And I would say that, that this, isn't our, the, this isn't us selling the National League's view, but what they were keen to do is people just to understand that landscape of what's going on. Um, so they're not, issuing any formal comment about the judgments that came out on Friday, essentially because there's an appeals process still in place. They are expecting clubs to appeal um, and that there will be some comment made after that. It was an independent panel that was appointed. That was that was also something they were very clear to say. Um, didn't have the names of the people who made up the independent panel, but I know from from my conversation with Ollie, he said that they they were certainly football people, but they weren't people that he whose names he recognised. So they're not people already like known within. Step one, step two circles. I think he suggested there was a chairman of a county FA, but he didn't know which county FA necessarily. I think there was a Premier League club secretary or former Premier League club secretary. So they were football people. We're not we're not just talking about, you know, a, a panel of um, lawyers. It wasn't,
1: it wasn't people from the National League board sat there making a decision is what you're saying, isn't it?
2: yeah and that he was very keen for that point to come across that you know we see comments about the whole national league board need to resign etc he was very clear on saying the these are not their decisions these are the results of the panel and also what the panel had to take into account so basically the national league presented to the panel the evidence of the various rule breaches um the panel were They would have had access to the National League's own set of rules to know what rules had been broken. Um, and they were also made party to things like any previous judgments that had been made in in similar instances of club for failing to fulfil fixtures. Um, uh, and I think there was also some financial information relating to the clubs as well in terms of... Um, I'm not entirely clear on that, but you know, I think that they're certainly mindful of whether clubs were going to apply for grants or loans to continue the season might have been part of that as well. So they had to weigh all of that evidence up, um, and yeah, ultimately, what what they've come down upon is is this um, this punishment for Dover. Um, it was also very clear in that that it could have been a lot worse. Um, that relegation from um, step one to step two was certainly an option, actually kicking Dover out of the national league system full stop was also an option that was there um, uh, but but not presupposing what the panel um, had in mind, I think they would have been very clear on on the implications for Dover as a football club and and just for this very delicately balanced ecosystem that I call it of the of the national league within the whole football pyramid. You know that you you kick a club out, that has repercussions. I said last night, it's like throwing a stone into a pond. You don't expect there not to be ripples, and that would cause ripples. So they've 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 been trying to weigh all that up. Is essentially what what he's been trying to express to me.
3: Can I just add to that that uh, every single football club in the national league system had a very very tricky time through all of this. What did they do? How did they approach things? Um, Yeah. A few cautiously missed a game or two and have been hit with a relative, you know, a, a, a fine that will hurt. A fine that will hurt, um, probably more ethically than than, than than financially. But Dover did something different. Um, they picked up their tools and went off without consideration um, of what the rules were. Um, they decided to do it in their from their, their moral ground was that they couldn't afford to carry on. So they just stopped playing anyway. And it wasn't just that, was it? Of course, their chairman was a member of the National League board. But he... That wrote
1: up the rules at the start of the season.
3: (laughs) They wrote up the rules at the start of the season. And yeah, of course, I understand. If somebody feels they can't be party to a collective decision anymore, then he probably did the right thing by resigning in that respect. But, you know, in life and in uh, governed situations like that, you can't just... Take your own approach. If there's, you know, a lot, an awful lot of other clubs, you know, in the same or a very, very similar boat, I think I, I pretty clearly remember that Kings Lynn and Wildstone both desperately wanted to stop as well, but they respected the rules and they've and they carried on according to those rules. Um, I, I you know, Dicky, you put a poll on our Twitter page and it was interesting. It did come back the results. Perhaps you can get them to hand while I'm talking you know, uh, exactly what the what, what the options were and, and how they came back. Of course, you know, we had about 70-odd responses, which is great, but it's not necessarily, you know, a broad representation. Uh, I believe they were rather sympathetic to, to, to the Dover cause, but I'd have to echo the fact that two things, the amounts could have been a lot more and the relegation could have been imposed. And I, to be honest, I, my only issue with the whole thing is my... A relegation for Dover have been the best thing for all parties. Um, Dover said they've got financial difficulties anyway. Um, might there it for it been more sensible and more stable for them to start in the National League South next season anyway? Um, and ironically, and only as a byproduct of that, it would have probably left an even number in the league, and you could have potentially looked at two down from the National League next season and two up from each of the North and the South. But I, I can't say that's a reason to do it. I'm just saying it would have been another further benefit if they if they had looked at
1: that. Yeah, I've got the poll here, and it, it, sanctions not needed was the highest one that came out in the end at 48% of the vote. So a lot of people thinking that nothing should have happened, which I found a bit bizarre. You can't. You can't.
3: Yeah. You, yeah. Can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, can't, you can't do that. Um, just-
1: Jim Palmer has said that he, will, he won't pay the fine and he will legally challenge this, which could cost him more than the fine itself but there we go. Um I caught up with Dover fan Jamie Parsons who's been keeping a close eye on this and he heard the interview as well and we had a, we had a quick chat about that. So Jamie's we record this on Saturday afternoon. We've just heard from Jim Parmenter following the news that Dover have been fined £40,000 and docked 12 points for next season. I mean, what's your reaction to it all? When the news came
4: out yesterday, I was, um, I was disappointed we wasn't relegated, in all honesty. Um, I think it's just um, prolonging our pains, uh, it's, especially with the fines and, and, and ju- just the way the league's gone. I, I think we're going to struggle to come back. So instantly it would have been nice to rebuild straight away from, from next season. Uh, the 12-point deduction, I, I can completely understand that. But considering its uh, financial reasons, I would have thought the understanding from the National League would have been a little bit more lenient with, with the uh, financial uh, <laughs> fine that they've stamped on us.
1: I know I heard from the Kings Lynn chairman, Steve Cleave, in an interview this week, and he said he feels like they've got... A gun to the head, a little bit playing on, but the argument would be as well. And I mean, we've spoken about in the podcast in the in the past about teams seem to be cutting the cloth now. And I get what Jim Palmer has said about you playing weak in teams by getting players from North and South. But if they're on contract, you can bring them in. There's nothing. There's nothing illegal against that, even though he says it's against league rules. Yes, getting them in on loan potentially is, but if they're non-contract, they can certainly do that, and certainly they're very, very good players. So maybe that's a bit. I don't know, harsh to say that teams would be uh, bringing in players and, and being weakened by it. Obviously, they've not got the highest best, the highest paid players and the best players. But to say it's bringing in players from like step three and four uh, is weakening a team—it seems a bit of an insult. That.
4: Yeah, I know. I, I did. I did think the same thing. Um, I think more than the league rules, he was saying furlough rules. I think he was actually saying it is against furlough rules, and teams are going to come unstuck with that. Yeah. I, I, I can't. I can't comment on that. I don't know enough about the furlough scheme um, to to say whether putting a thousand pound player on um, furlough and bringing in a hundred and fifty pound player. I, I don't know whether whether that is breaking furlough rules or not. To me, it seems smart business and the yeah. way around the situation. Um, and and instantly when the situation happened, I'd, I'd business-minded. I business minded. I would have thought that would have been a good way around it, but we're... Jim's a smart guy and I'm sure he's looked into it and yeah, I I I don't know. I, I don't know whether that's the right the the right call for him to not do it. But to say that the players of lower leagues um, <laughs> that, that you're you're right, there's some very, very good players at lower leagues at the likes of Welling, Dartford. Um we're seeing players um I mean Going down from from Dover, there some of our best players are playing at that level now. Yeah, would
1: They've you have been played. happy to see see him do that? Then bring him, you know, continue the season. All right, you might get relegated, but bring in players from Dartford, Welling, maybe even lower down like Herne Bay, somewhere like that, and and at least you've got a team together, and they might show a bit of fight. And as I say, you might go down, but at least you're finishing the season.
4: I mean, from a football mind, yes. But I don't know how bad the situation is. I don't know whether we can't afford to travel to the clubs. I don't know if we can't afford to power up the floodlights at the club. I don't know we can, what we can and, and can't afford. We're still going to have to pay the uh, managing staff, which I believe is on, on a pretty good salary. That, that that Them salaries won't disappear and the travel expenses won't disappear. So maybe we just do have no money at all. and. and we, we are. It's a, it's a small business. Um, it, it, we're, we're a small fish in a big pond compared to a lot of the other teams. Jim Jim's a he's, he's wealthy compared to to the general man on the street, but in 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 the league he's not.
1: Just turning obviously your attentions then as a fan. I mean. how's it been for you watching it on a a stream really? I mean, obviously it it doesn't beat the emotion of being there, but have you kind of got used to it now, just having to watch it on a stream every week or did do when Dover were playing anyway? Yeah. So it it was
4: um, the first couple of games we had problems with the stream at the club um, and then they, they, it got better. We had a couple of camera angles and commentary um, improved and, and it was enjoyable. And, I actually started celebrating goals. It, it was okay, but it's it's not live football. But it was definitely um, nice to be able to watch watch the club that we all love, and and yeah, it, it was it was strange, and I just can't wait to get back to watching live football at Dover. And hopefully, um, what what Jim said in the interview on the radio earlier that if this fine is applied and we end up having to pay it, that we will we will be in massive financial difficulty. So hopefully the national league listen to that.
1: Where did Dover Athletic go from here? Then is it a case of they potentially could resign from the national league and just end up trying to start at um, the division below national league south and working their way back up that way?
4: Quite quite possibly. Um, I think the fans accepted that anyway. Like I said at the very beginning um, of our chat that. I think that's where we all believed it was going to be. That's where we accepted it. We was talking to our, um we was talked. I was talking to the friends that I travelled the country with, saying I'm actually looking forward to trips to um, Folkestone and urn Bay and and these local. Be uh, on by
1: six o'clock. <laughs> yeah,
4: that's it. I mean, I enjoy the long journeys anyway. I do, I do enjoy the long journeys, but. I, I I've got in my mind that, that that's not how it's going to be. So now I've got to uh, prepare myself for these long trips to Halifax and things like that again next season. But it's yeah. I I just hope that we can do um the way the way Jim's always managed this club. I believe he's managed it well in the years I've been watching. We've released players um, who ask for too much money. To the fans' anger, we, we've let some absolutely fantastic players go down the years because we wouldn't roll over to mm. pay more money to cover clubs, and that and that's why the fans are standing by by the chairman because he we all know that he he's not a man who spends money unnecessarily. He, he's he runs it very tight, and he's working on a very tight budget with a, a small income and a small gate compared to other clubs, and that that's why we're standing by him in a lot of situations I, I, when clubs are looking at being relegated and having fines put on them most most fans will turn on the chairman and and ask questions where I'm yet to meet a Dover fan who disagrees with um, what our chairman has done.
1: Brilliant, Jamie. Well, best of luck in the future for Dover. Really, I was going to say for the season, but that's not <laughs> that's not going to happen. Unfortunately, um, laugh well, about it really. But yeah, good, good luck <laughs> in the future. And obviously, the main thing, as you said, is that is that Dover Athletic is a football club, whatever division it's in.
4: Absolutely, that's it. And and the fans will. Um, Enjoy watching the football, whatever division.
3: Making small changes to your lifestyle could improve your chances of staying healthier longer. Start now by taking our free How Are You quiz. Just search 1U.
1: So at the top of the National League, it was a, an interesting day and uh, none of the top three won. Something were 2-0 down at Halifax, it looked like they were going to fall to defeat. But uh, as they always seem to do, they seem to find a way. And again, late goals again. Isaac Alofay and... And Aaron Simpson rescued a point after Halifax, as I say, had already gone 2-0 up through Billy Chadwick and Jack Earing. And uh, Sutton, that's the sort of thing champions do now, Rob, isn't it? You know, when they're losing, they find a way to not lose, don't they?
3: I agree. I was thinking exactly the same thing. There were certain kind of moments in the season. You know, when you look around, you're 2 nil down away from home against a decent Halifax side that in the live league table were sitting comfortably in the playoff position at that scoreline. Um, and still, you don't accept it. You you know, you, you roll your sleeves up, you work harder, you refuse to be beaten in those situations. Again, they scored two goals in the last 15 minutes to get themselves level. I think live score or flash scores even scored a... even flashed up a winner for Southern that got ruled out, I think. But... Uh, yeah, quite phenomenal. And, and that draw will have probably felt a little bit like a win anyway. It certainly will when they came in and saw that uh, neither of the two teams closest to them, neither none of the three teams closest to them actually, had managed to get a win yesterday.
1: Yeah, second place were Hartlepool. And they, they took on to stop putting arguably what was the game of the day and they it, it took the lead just after half time through Gavin Hollohan but Paddy Madden he scored his first goal since signing for Stockport and uh, that's what they bring Paddy Madden in for when you're struggling and you need a goal he's the type of guy that will get you that goal and a point probably does well a point is probably better for Hartlepool than it is for Stockport put it that way
3: Definitely looking at the league table looking at the difference that keeps them a nine point lead over Stockport and they'll need some of that because uh, Stockport have got three games in hand on them um and uh yeah the while well, we talked about their run and their form superb um there's very little L's in their recent form is there and they've even started I think four points on the road this week as well for Hartlepool uh, a winning midweek and uh, a very very respectable draw at, uh, at Stockport where they were probably close to getting all three points and uh, uh, you know, they've played those three games more than Sutton as well, but they have close to within four points. So, uh, refusing to let uh, let Sutton run away with it.
1: And when Torquay were 11 points clear, we said, is it over? And we thought it was. Well, Torquay are 10 points behind Sutton. Now, they failed to defeat 1-0 at Dagenham and Redbridge. The goal scored in the 80th minute by Angelo Balanta, which, which is strange because he scored the win in the 80th minute last week when I saw them at Altingham. But for Torquay, is it over?
3: I think the I think the title race is all but done for Torquay. Yeah, it's gonna take phenomenal form um over the uh, remaining whatever it is, fourteen, fifteen games, um, to, to catch Sutton that have got the momentum that they've got, that's for sure. I'm pretty sure as well, we're gonna to have to maybe check this one out, but did not Dagenham go down to Torquay with uh, at Plainmoor with ten men and, and come away with a one-nil there as well. And, and, and all that does, it must just frustrate the hell out of Dagenham owners and fans. You know, they've proven twice now against a, a side as good as Torquay that they can keep them out and, and, and get all three points. But uh, uh, And they're doing okay, Dagenham. I think it might just be a little bit too late for them. Um, they'd need a hell of a role. And there's so many teams competing for a playoff places, so uh, probably a bit too late for Dagenham. But I think they'll end the season with some upward momentum and they'll need to if Darren McMahon's going to stay in charge.
1: Talking of upward momentum, uh, the team in fifth are doing just that. Wrexham and they took on managerless Bromley. First half goals from Jordan Davis and Dior Angus, which set them on their way before Angus added a second in the 67th minute. And a really good win for Wrexham that, Dickie. They're flying at the minute.
2: Yeah, they are. I think if you look at... I, I called up a, a form table really quickly last night, and I think Wrexham, um, over the last six games, I think their form's better than anybody in the division. Um, they've got on quite a role since Christmas. Obviously, we talk about this Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney effect, and we will keep dropping their names in in the hope that they might decide to join us <laughs> one Sunday morning. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no sign of that yet. Um, but, yeah... Uh, I, rexham's Wrexham's, um, uh, you know, adding a player like Dior Angus at the point of the season that they did um, uh, has, you know, been a, a huge boost to them. And it just seems to have, uh, they, they just seem to be energised. And, and, you know, going into the playoffs, again, you look at where they are and you think they're probably maybe a little bit too far back to actually win it. But if you're looking at uh, playoff contenders if you also think about the by the fact that playoffs take place there is a I think a, a, a small possibility that we might have fans back inside the grounds can you imagine what that it's going to be like inside the race course ground if you've got fans back in if Wrexham are on that role um they could be looking at maybe their best opportunity to get out of this division that they they feel they've been mired in for far too long for, for quite some time
1: Chesterfield are on a decent run as well. Um, Rob saw them win at Aldershot in midweek and he caught up with manager James Rowe after the game to talk about that game and to look ahead to their weekend game against Weymouth.
3: I'm joined, managed to get a couple of minutes with James Rowe on his return to the EBB. Uh, He's got the three points in his back pocket and I'm going to ask you a question you probably don't get asked very often, James. For some people it would have been quite an emotional return tonight. You always seem very controlled to me. Tell me, does James Rowe feel emotion? Does he show emotion?
5: <laughs> <laughs> I think it would help that the supporters went here. I think that would have brought more emotion. But obviously seeing familiar faces like the ex-kit men, uh, people at the door, it wasn't a satisfactory win in the end. It is a win, but it's not. You don't feel the same. I've got great affinity with the club, um, driving through the gates, etc. It's, it's, it's strange feelings. Um, but I thought we fairly deserved the win. I thought we limited the older shot to minimal shots. Obviously you had the chance from the mistake only in the second half. Other than that I thought we defended our eighteen yard box superbly and flipped that to the first half. I thought we moved the ball really well and I thought we made the pitch big and we played over structure. I was concerned about some of the positions that you guys take on the on the transition. But I thought we controlled the ball well. It was important we didn't turn the ball over in, in those key areas and we didn't in the first half and second half it was a different type of game. Um, really challenged our 18-yard box and I'm pleased to get the win you
3: really got in all the shots faces from the start you didn't let them settle on the ball whether it was pressing from the front the back the middle everywhere they just couldn't get their their passing game going tonight so full credit to you James for that how easy is it with these uh, you know games coming Saturday, Tuesday to get that level of intensity I mean it must be that quandary in your head do I freshen it up or have they got it it in them to go again
5: yes you're quite right it's a good question Rob Um, it's difficult games are coming thick and fast I'm just this last one on Saturday now with Weymouth gives us a break uh, we go Friday and then we have the Monday off fortunately because we are supposed to play Dover so as provided obviously Dover don't come back in the which don't yeah. think they are it gives us a little break there we've, we've targeted a certain amount of points up to the Easterly of the game and we're, we're well on track and I know
3: obviously whatever happens from here on in you've improved things you've steadied the ship you've built the confidence of the players you've tweak your squad um, as much as you've been able to invariably it's a big club big expectations and, and right now you do sit 10th two points off the playoffs. so the question's going to be asked i guess you just want to give yourself the best chance to be involved in the mix at the end of the season
5: it's, it's got a lot of um similarities to my first year in here at Aldershot when we were 15th for christmas and we went on a great run keeping clean sheets defending from the front and it's got a lot of similarities to that, Rob, to be honest. Um, we're just going to take one game at a time like we did then.
1: It was a 1-0 win on Tuesday and a 1-0 win against Weymouth as well on Saturday. Uh, Tom Wheeler scored against his former club and that moves Chessfield into the playoff places for the first time in, well, I can't remember since, but they're uh, they're on a good run. And like you said, they were your tip, Rob, uh, to get into that playoff place. And and there'll be a real real danger, won't they?
3: He's just a master tactician, James Rowe. He worked out exactly how to stop all the shot in the week. I said on uh, commentary a couple of times then he loves a 1-0, James Rowe, and he's going to done it again on Saturday and he'll be quite happily uh, stick the 1-0s on a few more of them for the rest of the season. And, and then we could have the most exciting playoffs between the biggest clubs for a very, very long time.
1: Yeah, lots of ex-league clubs in there, and that ends Weymouth's decent run. The other the other few fixtures left in the National League, uh, it was one that Rob wasn't too happy about, it's fair to say. Uh, Rob's had to shoot off, he didn't want to talk about this. So um, basically all the shot lost 1-0 uh, at Solihull Moors, and it ended up that Solihull Moors had nine men at the end. He had just over 15 minutes with 10 men, and then nine minutes plus stoppage time, that is if you include stoppage time, to to get an equaliser and he couldn't. Cameron Archer hit the bullseye early on and uh, then Solihull managed to hold on. Um, disappointing result, though, for all the shot. But Matt Yates with his first win since returning.
2: Yeah, and and you know clearly Mark H will be pleased with that. It gets it gets Solihull um, um, off and running a bit. Um, yeah, they had Mitch Hancock's dismissed for a second yellow card with um, 15 minutes still to play. So you know, one 0 lead at that point, you would have thought there'd be some hope there for Aldershot. They then had uh, the Moors had then had Jimmy Ball sent off with um, three minutes of, of uh, time left to play. But still, Aldershot couldn't make the breakthrough. I know Rob was um, very disappointed when he um, uh, expressed that to us on the WhatsApp yesterday. Then, you know, that said, you know, we couldn't even beat nine men. Well, it wasn't against nine men for long. But, uh, yeah, there's clearly going to be a sense of disappointment that, you know, when you're handed a couple of advantages, advantages like that, that you literally couldn't take advantage of them.
1: Yeah, comfortable win for Yeovil. The game was done in the first half against Barnet. Uh, three first half goals there, and uh, then in the late encounter between Maidenhead and Aldergem, Aldergem were. Probably the, the dominant side in that game, he had the better chances, but it was such a, a an ugly goal in the end. Ryan Colclough, direct from a corner, it was a swing and a miss at the near post, which deceived Ashby Hammond in the maidenhead goal and went in. So uh, not the um, not the greatest goal that he'll ever score. However, it got Altshagan three points and back-to-back wins for them.
2: Yeah, um, just, uh, it's funny. I was just looking at the um, a website last night, which had the uh, the form guides in it. They clearly not removed Dover's results from that as yet. And uh, yeah, uh, Dover's results over the last 10 games that they had actually completed, bearing in mind that they'd only played 15 and goes back, is actually better than Barnett's form at the moment uh, as a measure of, of of how poorly Barnett are doing. Um, obviously, I think, I think they put out a statement in the week saying that they're... Their, their search for a new manager is, I wouldn't say nearing an end, but they've clearly got some targets identified. Paul Fairclough stepped back from that role that he took over as caretaker just for three games. Um, clearly, they don't have the spectre of relegation hanging over them, but th- there's a big rebuild to be done at Barnet, isn't there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In the other game, uh, a good win for Kingsland in the end, they fell behind in the first minute to Jack Payne. But uh, Michael Gaiassi and Simeon Jackson... Uh, got the goals there for Kingsley. And who I saw it all on Tuesday night. I was really impressed with the, the football that they played going forward. It was just, um, they just weren't, they were just lacking a little bit defensively. But uh, I think, is that the first win in nine, Dickie?
2: Yeah, I think, it, yeah, first win in nine was I, think, was, I think, the stat that I saw. And it, you know, it's a nice little. Reward a nice little um, confidence boost for for Kingsley, and they are one of the teams that's had to um, try and cut their cloth a bit. I know that some players might have been furloughed. They've brought in um, certainly a, a player who's coming to them late, Jordan Davis, who was at Telford earlier in the season, um, hoping to take his opportunity to play at a higher level due to the circumstances. And you know, it's just just nice for them, but it's a bit of a blow for Eastleigh in in the um, at, at the same time. You know, they they are on the fringes of things and. I would imagine they've got to be disappointed that they didn't collect more from, from from a trip to Kingsland than that.
1: Yeah, they could have been in the playoff places instead. As we said, it is Chesterfield. are in that last playoff place.
2: All the big guns lining up, isn't it? And, and out of all of the teams, I think that's in the top seven now. I think it's only Sutton, the actual mm. leaders, who are not an ex-Football League club. So, you know, we're either going to be... Well, it looks like we're going to have at least one ex-Football League club going back up. But, you know... Can Sutton make history essentially, and you know they—they—it'd they, be the first stop of time a, a Sutton team's ever been in the football league if they can make it.
1: So it was an exciting day in the FA Trophy on Saturday. The uh, four semi-finals were Hereford, or Hornchurch, and Notts County. And uh, it, we'll get onto a Notts County game in, in shortly because it was pretty crazy. But uh, the other result was Hereford against Woking, and uh, they pulled off a famous victory, did the Bulls. And joining us now to talk about it is goalkeeper Brandon Hall. H- Hello, Brandon, and happy birthday for yesterday, or for Saturday.
6: Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you very much. It was uh, a nice way to celebrate.
1: Yeah, we saw you in your underpants at the end as well, which was quite amusing, uh, celebrating.
6: Yeah, I was... Um... I think some people wanted a bit of context, but yeah, it was just, um, I was all ready to go and get a shower. Uh, Obviously we'd had a few celebrations in the, uh, in the changing room. And um, so sort of jokingly when they came in and asked for an interview, I'd sort of jokingly said, uh, you know, am I okay to come out like this and thought, why not? You know, it's, uh, it's a good opportunity. So uh, yeah, no, brilliant. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's, 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 your, it's, your, it's your birthday. You can do what you like, Brandon. If you want to walk yeah, around in exactly. your pants, then you know. Uh, you keep, I think you get the freedom of the city for yesterday. So,
6: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, to do a uh, to do uh, an interview in your birthday suit is uh, is a one off. So, uh, yeah, probably not not too many of them again. But I immediately regretted it as soon as I was outside. A little That's... bit chilly, I thought.
1: Yeah, definitely. I thought this interview wasn't pants, eh, Dickie?
2: Uh well it's hope oh, not very much, yeah. I've um yeah. I have not gone commando for this one.
1: Yeah. How how's I can see you're uh, you're drinking a mug or something. How how's the head? I mean obviously you couldn't really <laughs> no. go out and celebrate, but yeah. I am guessing you had a couple of beers when you got in, did you?
6: Yeah, a couple of sensible ones. Um but no, just a coffee this morning. Just a coffee this morning to keep me awake.
1: <laughs> How, I mean, tell Tell us a bit about the game. I mean, you, you took the lead fairly early on. We saw Woken had a goal disallowed. I'm not sure. I think they were a bit miffed as to why it had been disallowed. Just, just talk us through the game because Woking they're a very good side, aren't they?
6: Yeah, I thought you know, um, they're they're a tough team. They really uh, commit bodies forward when attacking. They're kind of um, they're not afraid to commit bodies forward, and it makes it very difficult for us defensively. Um, you know, forward players are always slightly reluctant to to help out. You know, fortunately, we've got a good squad of of hard workers. But um, yeah, we scored sort of midway through the first half, um, a very uh, very worked a good worked goal, and and Joey finally got his uh, his first goal on the, uh, for the club. So that was a good moment for him. But um, yeah, we always felt confident that we could that we could um, keep that clean sheet and, and get through. We only conceded one goal in the in the competition so far. Uh, and that was against sort of a last minute one against Aldershot shot in the last round. So, um, so yeah, we were always fairly confident that we could, we could hold on to that clean sheet. We've been pretty good defensively in the last sort of 10 to 12 games, but yeah, it was, it was a tough game. There's a little, yeah, few nervy moments towards the end, but um, we could hold on.
2: There are some great stories in, in, in your run <clears throat> to this stage of the competition. I mean, uh, Joey Butlin being one himself, because um, uh, I follow Telford and, and he he scored the first goal we conceded this season away at Chasetown in the um, the FA Cup and I didn't expect to be seeing him scoring a winner in a, an FA Trophy semi-final a few months later but, he, but you know that, that's that been a fantastic um, chain of events that have led him to this situation um, and obviously you're not, not playing each week as well I mean the, we, we remarked about both yourselves and Hornchurch of not been in the position that your opposition were in yesterday of playing games regularly. So, um, you know, how do you approach? How have you approached that? You know, th- this. You know, you've essentially just been playing trophy games for the last few months. Yeah, I
6: think um, an FA just a, a cup game in general is. You know, if you lose, you're out of the competition. But for teams like ourselves in Hornchurch, if we lose, it's the end of our season. So it's. Um, I think it gives that added incentive to to really kind of put a hard graft in and and, and keep the season going. But yeah, you know, if it, I don't know what the situation was, you know, if we were to lose yesterday, whether we'd be in training Monday or whether that's just it, you know, we're kind of completely completely ended. Or oh, I'm not too sure. I kind of didn't want to think about it too much, but um, I, I I can only assume that's that's what it is. It's that that extra bit knowing that that really is our season done. Um, and maybe that's kind of uh, contracts are immediately ended and, you know, it's a loss of money and and everything like that for a lot of players. So, um, yeah, we've approached it in the right way. I think, uh, the manager's done a good job of getting games, regular games, um, in, in between sort of the older shot game and this Woking game. We've had plenty of games against under 23 sides and kind of, um, just a mixture of sort of first team squads and, uh, we've been able to train train fairly regularly and, and have those games as well. So I think we've, we've, we've kept a good base level of fitness um, and that's really helped going into a game like yesterday. Um, obviously, it's not, not quite the same, but it's you know, a hell of a lot better than training. At least we've got that match fitness.
1: What, what's the training situation been like? Because I think most fans have in their head that because the season's finished, you're all just sat on your backsides and then you go out and play and, like, and win. But you sound like you have been training really regular in, in these gaps.
6: Yeah, so we've we've continued our training schedule. We we train two mornings a week, which is you know slightly unique. Usually it's two evenings or um, or, or full time really. But we're sort of uh, in the middle, so we've got two mornings. But with there no not being a game on a Saturday, we've had that day as well. Where if we're not able to get um, if we're not able to get a game in, we've been able to do gym work as a squad. Um, we've been fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, so fitness wise, you know, we've, we've not really had a day off in, in terms of our training schedule. So um, it's been, it's been pretty intense. It's been pretty tough. I think a few of the lads would have liked uh, maybe a day or two off, but it's <laughs> been, it's, it's been pretty good. They've, but you know, we've, we've worked really hard and I think, you know, that's, it's testament really showing the effort we've put in to, to beat two sides in the league above us. It's, um I think it shows the hard work that we've put in.
2: You've got a, a Wembley date to look forward to now, which is obviously, you know, a huge thing. I mean, have, have you, well, first couple of questions. A, have you played there before? Um, and I was also going to touch on the thing about the absence of the fans as well, because knowing what Hereford is like when there's a big game. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we, we had an FA Cup game with Hereford a couple of seasons ago, Telford, when Hereford are a couple of divisions below, but they were really on a roll, and and the place was absolutely buzzing, the crowd that day. I just kind of imagine what a semi-final would have been like yesterday with, you know, those Edgar Street stands packed. It, it, it's just such a shame that that's not been able to happen, but there is a little bit, I think, of... that. Of, um, there's a prospect, isn't there? I think that you could have some fans at Wembley. Yeah, definitely. First, no, I've not. I've not had
6: the uh, privilege of playing at Wembley. Um, I've been a couple of times to watch games, but that's that's about as uh, as close as I've got to the pitch. So, yeah, that will be a a good day out. And um, yeah, the the fans situation, like you said, it's um, having like yourself gone and played against Hereford when this when this fans in there, it's a uh, it's a very yeah, scary place to go. It's um, it's it's very noisy, and obviously as the keeper, it's um it's it's, it's even sort of worse, you know. So it's uh, it, to have them on the side is it's fantastic. So it's it's been a bit odd, and I think yeah, it would have been it would have been lovely to have them there yesterday, but like you said, it seems like the chance. I think if things carry on as they are, um, there'll be a, a fair few allowed to be in there in Wembley. Obviously, it's not as many as. Really liked, and I'm sure Hereford would have probably filled out Wembley with the amount of fans that would probably want to attend. But um, but yeah, it would be good, it would be brilliant to, to have them there kind of for the final.
1: i tell you what, though, Dickie, like you say, Edgar, I love Edgar Street, it's such a grand old ground. And, and like you say, um, with the fans in there, but absolutely, it would have been the atmosphere would have been rocking, wouldn't it, yesterday? In that semi, not just because it was semi final in general, but the fact they would have won it, it would have brought back the old uh, Ronnie Radford memories that have been kids in Parkers on the pitch, because obviously Parkers are back in as well, aren't they? So.
2: But you can't help but be struck by all those kind of memories when you were inside Edgar Street. You know, everybody has seen that footage. You know, we all say about, oh, anytime Hereford get mentioned on the TV, wait for the Ronnie Radford Gold come. But you literally cannot remove yourself from that. That is just such a huge part of Hereford's heritage um and yeah you can't help but feel that when you're inside inside Edg street and i just when you think about what else is around in that area which you know it, it's a pretty rural area outside of the city you know it, in some senses it, it's almost a club that's kind of waiting to explode really because the support that would be there for it if you get the club on a roll um you know it, it was just potentially huge i'm glad brandon didn't
1: spoil us who decided to play in in the in the final but uh well, it was a fantastic other semi-final. Yours was boring, Brandon, 1-0. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the game down at Meadow Lane, Ian Birchall's first, char- first game in charge, was uh, it was fair to say topsy-turvy. Notts County took the lead through Carl Wharton on 10 minutes, then Liam Spence equalised on 38, and then it was Ruben Rodriguez, the Portuguese midfielder, who gave Knotts County the lead before Liam Nash equalised in stoppage time at the first half. Then Elijah Sam, he scored in the 78th minute. And it looked like that was going to take North County to Wembley before Nash popped up again in the first minute of stoppage time to take the game to penalties. And Hornchurch converted all their penalties and won by five goals to four. And Dickie, um, what an achievement that is. And we wouldn't have predicted that surely to start the tournament either.
2: I think, virtually, I think for the last two or three rounds, every time we've we've looked at the FA Trophy, we, we you know, we, we've we had the same conversation about Hornchurch, which is we'd have expected them to go out at that stage and they just keep producing, you know, performances like that yesterday. It, it speaks volumes for that, for the spirit, you know, that's there. I think Brandon kind of touched on it earlier with this. There's almost that element of, I dare say, desperation about it. When you lose, if you know you're going out there and you lose that day and your season ends there and then, then do you just play with that little bit of, of extra edge? And, you know, that, that that's carried. If, if that is what Hornchurch what ha- 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 H1- have too, you know, it is carried them through absolutely magnificently. The FA Trophy final was traditionally always one of the last games of the season. It is going to be for both of these clubs now. And, and, you know, you can both go out there and absolutely give it everything to get an FA Trophy appearance but possibly an FA Trophy winner's medal out of such a a bizarre season as this has been you know m- must just and I'm not going to say it makes everything worthwhile because you know that when we think of the state of things in the world people have been through some pretty awful times but I think it's a reminder that you know when things look quite dark there's there's always that light at the end of the tunnel isn't there not that not the Wembley tunnel in this instance. Mm-hmm now because I'm not sure that that exists anymore but um, yeah I mean it, it's it's a huge day for, for, for Brandon and his, his teammates looking forward to and likewise everyone at Hornchurch and I think our hope is just that we get an opportunity perhaps to be there as well and um, you know take some of the day in with you
1: it's The non-elite derby it is isn't it? <laughs>
2: Um, absolutely nothing wrong with that I think I think it's terrific to see too and and as pointed out to me somebody yesterday two Phoenix clubs as well two clubs that have started up out of the ashes of of clubs that uh, that um for whatever reason fell by the wayside it's just got there's just so many fantastic stories about it you know we mentioned Joey Butlin I um I know James McQuilkin your teammate and I know at the start of the season he he was without a club initially and 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 you know was playing for a deal at Hereford and 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 things weren't looking great for him and he's going to end that with a Wembley appearance I mean that there's such a great story of uh, you know hope and and uh, and of keeping going because you just don't know where it's going to lead
1: it's a great story on James McQuilkin as well isn't it Dickie in that um, he's had his (laughs) he had his wedding cancelled due to Covid and now he's having his wedding cancelled due to the trophy isn't he
2: um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm friends with, with James um, um, and his fiancée, Stefan. Yeah, she said to me yesterday, actually, the day that the final is taking place would have been their wedding day had COVID not come along and they'd had to cancel their wedding. So I did try and persuade her that perhaps that Wembley might be, um, you know, willing to do both in one, you know, maybe get married on the pitch before the game starts and then have the reception afterwards. I'm um, not sure she's gone for that, to be perfectly honest. But uh, no, I mean, there's so many fantastic stories in this. There is in, there is in every. You know, club that makes it to a Wembley appearance. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's just got me excited just talking about it.
1: I was gonna say, Brandon, in terms of does it feel extra special? I know you've not had fans throughout this year, but, and we don't know every player's personal situation, but in terms of what's going on in the world, is this kind of, does this make it extra special? Because you feel like you're coming out the other side, you're going to be at Wembley, there's going to be fans there. Does it feel extra special because everything that we've been through, maybe the emotion off the pitch as well, and, and everything, everyone's personal situations, like you say, there, there is that chink of light at the end of the tunnel and you're going to get to that end of the tunnel now.
6: Yeah, you know, it's been it's been tough for a lot of people um, and having that bit of hope and something to focus your mind on during, during a tough time is, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it kind of keeps you going and keeps you motivated. And uh, yeah, I think we all need a little bit of something kind of special at the moment just to kind of, you know, keep us, like you said, light at the end of the tunnel and knowing that things are kind of getting a bit better, obviously. As long as we kind of stay on track, but it's um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a good thing to uh, to have have as as a have as your focus, and um, yeah, I think there would be a lot of us footballers sort of twilling our thumbs at home at, at the moment if if we if we hadn't have been able to to get out there and play. So yeah, it's it's, it's been it's been good to focus on. I think from a fan's perspective, it's um, it's been a great thing to focus on as well as all. I know people haven't been able to. To attend uh, in person, but being able to stream the games and, and uh, have that sort of external focus for a, a little bit of normality has been uh, has been pretty good. And, and the fact that people are going to be able, you know, fans are going to be able to be there for the finals is uh, will just be will just be amazing.
1: I was going to say, I think, I think there'll be tears shed regardless, won't they? Because if you're a Hereford fan and you're thinking the first game of the season is going to be at Wembley in a trophy final after everything you've been through, I think you would get a bit emotional regardless. And in terms of playing in empty grounds, what's it been like? I mean, we've heard from players that they've heard, they've heard more from the manager and they wish the crowds were in because they're getting a, they're getting pelters off the manager. But how's it been for you? I mean, is it is it, is it just seen as another game and you, and you focus on that, or, or do you think this is just like being in training? This.
6: It's odd. It really is odd. Um, it, it doesn't feel right at all. It's um, a very, very strange, a very strange feeling. Um, it's yeah. It's just not. Yeah. You, I think you could take a lot of other things away, and it. it it's, it's hard to explain. It really is. But yeah, it's just you, you need fans there. It just makes it makes the occasion. It makes you know you could even if you took away the stadium and you played on a sort of Sunday league pitch, but at least you had fans, it would, it would add that extra something to it. But it's, um, it's just not right. That emotion when you score or when you win or, you know, for a penalty save, you know, all those kind of stuff, the penalty shootout we had in the last round, you, you need that. You kind of, you feed off, off the sort of fans and, you know, even if it's, you know, you're heading into the last 10 minutes of a game and you're winning or you're drawing and you just need that extra little bit of motivation. It's, uh, yeah, it's sorely missed. It's really sorely missed.
2: I think what comes through out of all of this to me is is we use this phrase often about football is the the most important of the least important things. And, you know, if, if you think in terms of not just the focus for yourself, but the fact that Hereford has still been able to play games, you know, your fans have still had that thing to look forward to in a really, really difficult time. Um, and I know we've, you know, we've, we've discussed many times before, you know, as to, you know, should football have carried on through this? I think it, when you see something like this happen, and when, you know, you get to the end of it and you've got clubs that have got, you know, a dream day ahead of them, you know, that uh, appearance of, you know, playing a, a, in a Wembley final, it, it is hard to deny that. You know that, that that shouldn't have carried on really, Um and you know into I wouldn't say in awe of, but you know I, I have huge respect for you know the fact that players have kept going through this Um because it, it's just been hugely challenging for everybody. And 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 say if, if I feel overly excited about this, and heaven knows anybody from Telford listening and thinking he sounds like he's actually changing colours here, it is just. That that joy—it's just that sort of that feeling that we all get from the game, isn't it? That's coming through, I think. And and yeah, it, it's going to be a, a terrific day. And 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 so we we're hugely looking forward to seeing you there, Brandon. And and thank you so much for joining us today as well. Because as I say we know it was your birthday yesterday. I, I, I gather you had a an additional card from the referee yesterday as well. Just. Um, <laughs>
6: Yeah, I don't think he could help himself, um, knowing the occasion. So uh yeah, unfortunately I think someone had asked if it had money in, but I think it was it's the it's a bit of a reverse, it's a ten pound fine, isn't it? So um mm. but who cares, you know, it's uh had to be done. I'm I'm still mind blown how it how it was a yellow card, but you know, we'll uh I'll have a little look at that when the uh, when the footage comes through today.
1: Was it for time wasting? Was it, Brandon? <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I think if two. I think two or three
6: seconds. I, I'm not sure it counts as uh, as time wasting. It's. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Maybe it was a few too many that I'd uh, that I'd tried, but sometimes it has to be done in, in those circumstances
2: you know the, the the fact that you've got up after potentially an hour's less sleep a birthday and a Wembley celebration and everything we're you know we're hugely grateful to you it, it's great to see you and um yeah, looking far brighter than I have <laughs> than I am and, um, you know I've not been doing any of the things you've been doing did you sleep though Brandon um, yeah 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 no I've had, uh,
6: I've had a reasonable sleep obviously it does throw you that hour less it always seems to fall on the sort of the birthday weekend so it's uh yeah, kind of get used to it. It's, uh, it's a shame to have an hour less, but um, I'm sure I'll catch up tonight.
1: Bro. Brandon Hall, thank you very much.
6: Thanks very much for having me.
1: Dickie, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks as well to Rob. Don't forget to subscribe to us on our good podcasting platforms. You can hear that full interview with steve wiss uh, about ian birchnell and his time in sweden and uh, all the other interviews as well and you can hear past episodes as well thank you very much for joining us Uh, look after yourselves and we'll see you all next week